Welcome to the PapaCast on the links. Now here's your host, Bob Papa. Welcome to another edition of the PapaCast GolfCast. I'm Bob Papa, and it's with great pleasure we welcome in one of the greats of all time, World Golf Hall of Famer, nine-time major champion. He's won hundreds of times around the globe, the great Gary Player joins us here on the program. Gary, thanks for a couple minutes here. It's a pleasure, Bob. Nice to talk to you as always. Gary, the, at your age, the passion never wanes. Where do you find this relentless energy day in and day out? <laughs> That's a very interesting question, and I often ask myself that because I have as much energy now at 80 as I did when I was 25. I think uh, it's the fact that I'm a really a great sleeper. I'm extremely happy. Um, I eat, I would say, well, compared to Americans, I eat unbelievably well. But compared to some of the top uh, dietitians of the world, I'm just average. Uh, but I think we hear a lot about exercise, Bob, and we still in our infancy. I think exercise is the great secret. Um, I bring this home to all my 22 grandchildren and all my friends, and all I can say, the fact that I don't only exercise in the gym, but I keep moving, I think that is the big, big thing. And also my life, living on my farm in South Africa for four to five months a year, there's no pollution. The water is out of the ground. It's one of the three best waters in the world. All these things lend uh, to energy, and I think one of the greatest gifts bestowed upon anybody is energy. You're well ahead of the curve on all this. Where where did you learn about this? How did you incorporate this into your day-to-day life? My brother, it's so sad, uh, my brother went to war in the last World War when he was 17 from South Africa. And I can vividly remember my mother and father saying, you can't get a war at 17. He was rejected and he came back because he had a leg shorter than the other. He said, I'm going to fight with the Americans and the British. And I remember that so well. And he stood there and he said, look, with his beret on, he said, I might not come back. What do you want to do? I said, I want to be a professional sportsman. I didn't know about golf then. He said, you're too small and you're too weak. I've bought you a set of secondhand weights. Promise me you'll exercise for the rest of your life, which I've adhered to. And uh, never, I mean, this afternoon when I'm finished, I'll come back here and work in the gym. Before I leave tomorrow for South Africa, I'll go back in the gym again. You have traveled the globe uh, countless times spreading the gospel of golf. Why was it so important for you to take on that role as the game's great ambassador? Well, first of all, I've traveled definitely without a question more miles than any human being ever now. 63 years, Bob. Think about that. A pilot, if he does 40 years, is extraordinary. Then he might go and fly privately for another 10. But nobody flies for 63 years all the time, all year round. Um... Uh, I don't like to only promote golf. Uh, I speak to 1.5 billion people a year. Think about that. In China, India, I did one interview that 400,000 people listened to. So in Africa and America. And really, I promote probably health because it's the greatest gift that one can possibly have. Without your health, what do you really have? And people don't worry about health, Bob. It's amazing. If you take the greatest country in the world, the United States of America, you get over 100 million Americans with diabetes in 40 years' time. Think about what I just said. Healthcare systems are doomed. They don't stand a chance. Politicians won't tell you that. And that's not talking about cancer, where one out of every two men get cancer. And that's not talking about the most prevalent disease, heart attacks. So actually, if you live today, if you live to 70, it's a miracle. But 
we are living longer, but you're not living. You go from 70 to 80, they're existing, not living. So what we've got to do, we've got to really make sure that we adhere to the principles of longer or longevity, which is not taught in schools. The American education today is so poor. If you go to South Africa and took our 15 best schools, you don't have one school in the United States that compares to the ours in South Africa. Five languages, incredible with maths and science. You have to go to gym three to four times a week. You have to debate. You have to uh, be part of the, a school band. You have to take part. Olympic pool, track fields, football fields. I mean, it's just so important to get the youth of a nation are the trustees of posterity. We've got to get the young people in this country away from all this technology sitting down there. Technology is great in the right place. But when you come home from school or when you're at school, you've got to exercise, you've got to take part in sports, and you've got to be highly educated to compete with the rest of the world. America's education is going down and the rest of the world is going up. The greatest country in the world, America, I don't think you're rated in the top 20 in education quite sad. I want to get to your foundation and the invitational in just a bit, but I want to get to how you came about to the game of golf. You mentioned that you wanted to be a sportsman. Mm -hmm. Your brother gave you those secondhand set of weights. What circled you to this game? My father worked in a gold mine, 8,000 feet underground for 100 pounds a month. He said, and he was, but they allowed you to play golf on the gold mines golf course. So he said to me one day, come and play golf. I said, Dad, I'm playing uh, soccer at school and cricket and track and swimming. I'm boxing. I'm not interested in that sissy's game. And he said, well, come and try it. And you know, Bob, I went out and the first three holes were very short. I had three pars. I took that club and I hit the ball and two putted. And after that, I got my tens and nines. But, man, I was hooked. And thank God that I got involved in golf because it has longevity like no other sport. It enables you to travel around the world extensively, which is the greatest education one can obtain in the world. There's no – a Harvard or a Stanford doesn't give you anywhere near the world experiences of traveling around the world and seeing things and experiencing. Plus the fact – the people I've met from all the presidents of America to the emirs in the Middle East, to the prime ministers, to the royal family, but also the poor man in the villages of Africa and India, where maybe you learn as much from them as you do from the higher echelon of humility, gratitude, etc., etc. Your career has spanned countless decades, winning uh, the Open Championship first in 1959, nine major championships. The competition level that you had uh, with Jack and Arnie and Billy Casper, and a name that doesn't always get included when talking about your great players of your era, what made it so much fun? It was a different world today. Obviously, change is the price of survival. Uh, Arnold, Jack, and I, uh, we won so many more majors than the other guys. Uh, Tom Watson is a man who won eight, which I admire very much indeed. But he sort of came a little bit, a little bit after us. But uh, we won over fifty majors on regular and senior tour, and over three hundred and fifty tournaments around the world in total. So I mean, that was a lot of tournaments. But we lived together. We competed fiercely against each other. But we had respect for each other, and we promoted the game of golf around the world at no real money. Not like today. I mean, I listened to Jordan Spieth talk the other day. He said he was a little bit exhausted. Uh, he traveled to Australia. or He did international travel, as I think he worded it, and it's affected his game. Well, if he played when I did, he wouldn't be able to walk. 
because I mean I was traveling millions of miles not just I got on a plane once and flew from France to Australia with a 16 hour time change arrived at the Australian Open three hours before I played and won by seven shots so a lot of it is in the mind this tiredness but when you make like Jordan Spieth 50 according to the the media 53 million dollars last year incredible it's hard to it's hard to fathom but he's a wonderful young man terrific uh, great ambassador for golf and i hope he makes a hang of a lot of money but money was not the criteria for us we loved the game we wanted to promote it and i think the most significant word today is gratitude to be able to appreciate things there's too much in america today with the youth of entitlement they're not entitled. When I talk to the young people of America, the first thing I tell them, you're not entitled to a damn thing. You have an obligation to do something for your country, not your country, not the country do something for you, which is something that Kennedy came up with, President Kennedy, and that's a phenomenal statement when you think about it. But it doesn't apply today, I can assure you. What was it like for you? I mean, now we look at it and we see international players having tremendous success, winning majors. But you were a trailblazer in so many different ways. There wasn't really a path for you as some, the path that you've led for so many of these young men that compete today and men and women. Can you talk about how difficult it was and, and some of the adversity that you felt and maybe some of the resentment that you felt come your way? Bob, uh, it's a young person today can never envisage what I actually went through, having to travel from South Africa. That's another thing. These guys travel with a jet or their own jet. They lie in a bed. I came over with six children sitting in a plane like this, a constellation, at 27,000 feet in the storms, 40 hours, stopping four times in the most godforsaken places you've ever seen in your life, and then played for hardly any prize money. But um, I think... That by coming over, which was a big challenge, a small person in Statia, coming to this massive country from South Africa. And South Africa is one of the most incredible countries in the world. But coming over here, this vast, immense country, and then having to compete against these guys on their home courses, and they could go home, and I lived in a motel, was not easy. But I'd loved the challenge. And that's why when I played against Arnold Palmer in 1961 in the Masters, I mean, there are 20,000 people, Bob, there pulling for him, and I'm leading. only person pulling for me is my wife and my dog. And I loved that. I loved that because I had so much adversity, which is the greatest gift that can be bestowed upon anybody. I had so much as a kid that I just loved that challenge. And, Bob, I never choked. Now, people think I'm boasting when I say that. I didn't choke. If I could have put my head on a lot of certain players that played, I won't mention names, they would have won five and seven majors, but they didn't hang in there till the end and couldn't finish it off. So it was a, you, what you think is a, a tough time at present, later on is a big advantage. But coming over, winning and winning all these majors, uh, and you know, one of the things that you and all your media forget consistently, I won nine majors on the senior tour, which was more difficult than the nine majors on the regular tour, contrary to what people think, because you had to do it after the age of 50. Now, when I came on the tour, I went 50. I was in as good a shape as I was when I was 20. Right now, today at 80, very few 30-year-olds will beat me in the gym. But not only did I have all these difficulties to encounter, I had to play with people wanting to kill me every day. People at the PGA, which I lost to Raymond Floyd by one shot. They threw telephone books in my back. 
on my backswing, ice in my eyes, charge me on the green consistently, balls between my legs, screaming on a one-foot putt, which I missed by five inches, and lost by one. These are the things, because I was from South Africa, and at that stage we had an apartheid system. And so I was the most prevalent South African, so they obviously weren't demonstrating against me as personally, but against South Africa where they'd get their coverage, and that was their, their warfare at that time. So that was difficult to play around the world, and I played everywhere around the world. I teed up in Australia, and they had these people screaming, screaming as I teed off on the first tee, things that a young man has no idea about. So it's been, um, but luckily, you see, luckily I had this difficulty to encounter when I was young, which prepared me. Luckily, otherwise, you wouldn't be able to continue playing. If you took a young guy today and he had to, I don't care who it is, Rory McIlroy, Jason Day, Jordan Speed, if they went through what I went through, they'd stop playing. Not even a debate. They would quit playing golf tomorrow. You had to go against Jack and Arnie and all these players that we talked about. As you competed fiercely against them, what did you learn from them at the same time? I think Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus were great ambassadors, not only for the game, but for this wonderful country of America. And, you know, I, I, I really put great emphasis on this wonderful country of America. The tragedy is it is on a decline at the moment. There's no question America, compared to 50 years ago, is on a slight decline. And they've been such great ambassadors for this country around the world. They carried that American flag, even though not directly in their hands, but they carried it with great uh, esteem, humility, behavior, dress code, being able to speak well and, you know, having a feeling for people. So, um, I don't know, golf teaches you so much, and you can relate that to a country, you can relate it to an individual. It's fascinating. When you think back to all the great moments... Is there one shot that, when you think about it, you can still feel through your body? Yes. I'd won nine majors on the regular tour. And I, for some unknown reason, I wanted to go to my grave having won nine majors on the senior tour. And um, I needed one more major, and that was at Port Rush in Ireland, a tough, tough golf course, one of the best, maybe the best links I've ever played. And I tied with John Bland. And we went in a sudden death on a, on a par five, and I had a 12-footer, and it was about a foot breaking left to right. I said, man, I want this putt so damn badly. <laughs> and I could vividly remember, it went right in the middle. And, man, I've got a picture where I was so pumped up, you know. Everybody seems to think the Tiger did this first and, you know, wore the collar first. And my son has to remind people, Gary Player wore this collar that Tiger wears. And Tiger didn't invent uh, gymnasium. My dad worked on weights. He was the first in the world to do weights. But people forget what took part in history. And that's understandable. One mulligan. One shot that, I mean, because every coach, every player has the, it's always the fish that got away. Is there is there one more than any that you can still taste it? Well, I'd like to reverse it and say if I could have one mulligan that one man didn't hit. <laughs> and I was playing at Augusta, and I had a f opportunity to be the first man to win Augusta twice in a row. And we're playing three holes to go. I'm playing with Arnold Palmer. I've got him by two shots with three holes to go. 
I hit first at 16, and I put it 12 foot from the hole. Now it's looking good. He misses the green to the right in the fringe. I've definitely won now. Not, e- not even a question. Everybody who's missed that flag topside to the right, Ed Sneed, you can go through Bernard Langer. None of them have got down in two. You can't get down in two. It's impossible. He came down 25 foot to the right down that hill, hit the flag and went. was going to go right to the back of the green, went in the hole. So I missed my putt. I still felt very good. One up with two to play. Arnold hits first, hits a duck hook in Eisenhower's tree. I flew it right over the tree. Arnold hits a five iron up onto the, about 28 foot from the hole, slots that for birdie. <laughs> I have two putt, we tie, we go into 18 hole playoff. The sudden death playoff for majors is a terrible rule who ever thought about that. A major is your life. The USGA, I've got to hand it to the USGA. They are far advanced above the other majors as far as playoffs are concerned. Anyway, we go into 18-0 playoff. I'm out in 33. He's 36. I've got him again. He comes back in 31, and he beat me. And that was plus another time at Augusta. I stood, And every time I play the 18th and the 16th hole, it haunts me. I'm standing in the middle of the fairway. I've got a six iron to the green. Casper Littler putting out. I need a four to tie, three to win. All I've got to do with good course management is put it in the middle of the green because it kicks this way. If you go by the hole, it runs back. What do I do? The last decision you make is always important. It's a 10-second decision. I decide I'm hitting it so well, I'm going for the pin and I'm going to win it. And it goes so straight, I've got to lean over sideways to see the flag. And the ball goes that far, buried under the lip. And from here to there, from the hole, from here to there, bogey. That stayed with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> but that's life, isn't it? That's life. That is life. Yeah. And that, it's the good and the bad that come with putting yourself in the arena to compete and putting yourself in a position to win. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, we all love this game. You think, Bob, what golf is doing for you and the wonderful job you guys uh, in the media do for us. You help promote the game. I, my father was... Didn't have any education, but he said, always respect the media. Because without the media, the sponsors are not going to be there. The public are not going to be there. And you're not going to play for the kind of money. But many athletes don't adhere to that. Many athletes push you people aside. They don't realize. They're not educated correctly. It comes back to the word education. Education is the light, irrespective of what subject it may cover. You have given back so much to the game, your foundation for many, many years, has raised millions. Uh, the Gary Player Invitational, spreading the game of golf. Talk about sort of the inspiration of the foundation, the mission statement of your foundation, and the amount of money that you have. I mean, it's, it's, it's awe-inspiring. Yes, we've raised now $60 million, and we'll raise $100 million before I die, as long as I stay healthy. We're in places like Abu Dhabi, Japan, China, America, London, South Africa. We're in six countries now. And now we're talking uh, to India. And wherever we raise the money, the money usually goes to that particular country to help people, underprivileged. But our theme is mainly education. And when you struggled like I did, I wish I had time to tell you what my life was like when my mother died and my brother's at war and my father's working in the gold mine and my sister's at boarding school. And you've got to cook yourself and iron yourself at eight years of age. When I look at my grandson today, eight, and I look at it, I said, it's impossible for him to do it. Impossible. But we've now raised this money, 
And uh, what a treat it is when you've struggled to visit these countries like in China, it's for aged children uh, or, may, or it's usually involving children. And you see these children that have got nothing and how you're changing millions of people's of lives. What a gratifying thing is. I mean, it's just it just it just hits you in your soul uh, and makes you feel so good that through through God, I'm in a position to be able to help people. I mean, it's a special gift. You know, people say to me, how did you become a world champion? Well, when you look at my size and where I came from, there's no question in my mind. It was a divine spirit intervention, not even a question. And with that, you have done tremendous good. And you want $100 million. What What is it about that number that has you impassioned? Well, I suppose when you get to 60, you think of 100 automatically. And, and 100 million is quite a... A legacy to leave behind that a, that a small company, uh, and with the help of my son Mark, who started it, that with the co- and the, and all our staff that help us diligently, we have wonderful people working for us. That uh, with all their help, you can get to a hundred million. That's quite significant. Legacies, I don't believe in legacies. Um, if you look at a man like Winston Churchill, the greatest man that lived in the last hundred years, I mean, when you think he had a September 11 every week in his life almost, I mean, and this man inspired people. If you took Winston Churchill, who incidentally was very much like Donald Trump, very outspoken, uh, he said, uh, and it's, it's quite interesting, he was very outspoken. Uh, he said Hitler is a bastard. He said Hitler is going to come and declare war on us. And the prime minister at that time said, uh, Mr. Churchill, you are so outspoken and you're so rude and, and things like that and you're all wrong. Well, he was right. The Germans killed six million Jews and a hell of a lot of other million people. So he was right. And when he became prime minister, he obviously quietened down. But... Um, that if you can change people's lives, you can go to a grave feeling very happy. Because when I relate to Winston Churchill, if you went to a school in America today, I'll give you a written guarantee and said, who's Winston Churchill? They'd have no idea. They'd have no idea. So you're, I really think you're quite conceited if you believe in a, a legacy. All you've got to do is leave that legacy while you are alive. That's when you've got to perform and leave something that is of significance at that time. To expect that time will go on. Ben Hogan, the best golfer, the greatest golfer I ever saw in my life. Think about it. He won nine majors. He went to, imagine telling Tiger Woods he had to go to war when he won five majors or six majors. You can't comprehend. And then he comes back and has an accident. So for 32 years, for 32 majors of his prime in his life, he won nine majors. He would have won more majors than anybody. Not even a debate. It's like Rod Laver. Everybody says Federer is the best tennis player. What about Rod Laver? He won two Grand Slams and was not allowed to play. Mr. Hunt of Texas ran and took over the tennis tour. And because he was a pro, he's not allowed to play in any of the Wimbledons or the US Opens for five years. And yet he won two Grand Slams. 20 majors in his prime. People forget this very, very conveniently. So... It's a very interesting world when it comes to sport and debating that we, that exists. I encourage everybody that's listening to go to GaryPlayer.com. Check out the foundation. Check out the Gary Player Invitational events around the world. need to ask you one more question um, with regards to the game of golf, the Olympics this summer. And uh, obviously, golf has been invited back into the Olympic Games, mm-hmm. yet it feels as if some of the players 
don't seem to care. There are two issues I'd like to conclude with, and that is, first of all, um, having had the experience of world travel and looking at this great country from the beginning, America's got to stop giving all them or so much money away to people that don't appreciate it and put it into education in this country. That's the first thing I want to say. And that's, I really believe, is, is prevalent. Secondly, the Olympic Games. I would have given anything as a young man to participate in the biggest sporting event on the planet and win a gold medal. That's something you cherish for the rest of your life. And here at 80, I've been asked to be the captain of the South African team. That means I'm actually going to walk in the Olympic arena at the age of 80. And I have to go back to South Africa several times from overseas to go to a dinner to inspire our Olympic team and then do a parade the next time through Johannesburg. And I'm traveling across the world to go and do that. And I've got to spend two weeks in the village in Brazil with the Olympic team. I'm very proud to do that. So when I see people withdrawing, I just, I, I'm in utter shock. Now, I must have respect for other people's opinions, of which I do. But I, I can't comprehend. Maybe it's a time I came along at. I don't know what it is. But to be in the Olympic Games and decline, I'm sorry. I, uh, I just don't, I don't understand that. Your team took a big hit, too. Well, it did, because I think we would have won the gold medal. I really believe with the three players we have, we were going to win a gold medal, particularly playing away from uh, your own country. That's when we excel, when the international players excel when they go out of their own country. So we had a great chance of winning this. And um, my, my goodness me, now now we, uh, we don't really. I don't think we do. I'm not going to say we can't, but I don't see us now winning the gold medal. Did they reach out to you, the players? Uh, no, 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 not at all. Um, I phoned um, Brandon Grace to congratulate him on his victory at Hilton Head, and he said he was still thinking about what to do. And I said, well, that's your decision. But, uh, young people today are a little different than when we were young. When I was young, I would have given anything to get a little bit of experience from Sam Snead, who might have been the best player that ever lived, might have been, or Ben Hogan. I would have given anything. I would have traveled from South Africa to America to spend five minutes with Ben Hogan. He was the only man I met in my life, Bob, that really knew the golf swing. The only man I met as a professional golfer in 63 years. Now, a lot of pros will say Gary's talking absolute hogwash. But I know when I hear what's said about the golf swing and I see how world champion golfers have gone into oblivion through incorrect teaching. Whereas Ben Hogan, my goodness me, he said a couple of things to me in my life and I picked up from him and he wasn't a very talkative man. My first US Open, I played with him at Tulsa, Oklahoma, Southern Hills. I played my first 36 holes in my first US Open with this great Ben Hogan. He said five words, morning fella. And on 36 holes, he said, well played, son. So somebody said, hell, he was talkative. (laughs) (laughs) So... It's uh, it's a fascinating. It's been a, a fascinating journey for me. You know, normally I end the podcast with this question. No matter who I have on as a guest, I'm going to ask it for you. But you've covered it all in the sense that traveling the globe and, and all the people that you've met. But normally I like to say, if we could close the door in a room, and you can put your favorite meal on the table, your favorite, maybe your favorite glass of wine, your favorite meal, and nothing from this closed door dinner would ever be released publicly. Who would be your three guests to sit at this dinner? Very good question. I love that question. 
Winston Churchill, Nelson Mandela, Mahatma Gandhi, and Lee Kuan Yew of Singapore, who is the greatest political leader the world has ever known. Think about it. Besides the, the qualities of the other people, but Lee Kuan Yew, who the average person who listening to this will have no idea who Lee Kuan Yew is, and yet he's the greatest political leader ever. Their country is the highest educated country in the world. It's the cleanest country in the world. It's the highest educated country in the world. It is the greatest GDP, the greatest economy in the world. And they have no guns. Nobody's ever killed by guns and murders. And there is no graffiti whatsoever. And they don't tolerate any graffiti. Is this the epitome of, of living? Where you can sleep with your windows open. The people, your children are not going to be shot by guns in supermarkets and colleges. And every day we read, South Africa and America are the two most barbaric countries in the world when it comes to killing. We don't have value for life. We annihilate people every day. I mean, it's scary. I mean, uh, th this is something I never saw when I was a young man in America and South Africa. And obviously they're two of my favorite countries in the world. But I just don't understand it. Every day you read last night, it's every day. School children, policemen shot, people shot in supermarkets, army people shot in army barracks, shot in movie houses. Are we crazy the way we're living? And so you go to Singapore and you have none of this. You have everything that you dream about exists there. Now, in a lot of people's minds, that's wrong to live like that. But be that as it may, this man, Lee Kuan Yew, had inherited a country that was annexed by the Japanese. And they went through living hell, and he developed this country in a matter of 40, 50 years. It's incredible when you go there. I wouldn't like to live there, though. It's too damn hot. <laughs> what would you serve, by the way, to this special dinner? Oh, the special dinner to serve? Well, you've got to take into consideration they're all of different cultures. Now, that's a hard thing to make them all happy. <laughs> so you've got to say to you, the conclusion you come to is, I've got to serve something that they all eat. And that is something you'd have to put a lot of thought into. If you locked me in a room and said what I'd like to have, I'd like to have a very nice salad, and I'd like to have a good piece of salmon, and I'd like to have a baked potato, and I'd like to have good green vegetables with a glass of green vegetable juice all mixed up, and then I'd like to have berries for dessert and a cup of herbal tea with honey in it. That's why he hits the golf ball the way he does at the age of 80. You know, you'd be shocked. Churchill is the most common answer. I've done over 30 of these with not just golfers, professional football players, some baseball people. Churchill is the name that shows up the most in that, that question. I'm so happy to hear that because, honestly, uh, Bob, if you, if you read about Churchill, which we do significantly – the orator, he failed in school in literature and yet became this genius as an orator. And that's my, one of my personal desires right now is to be the best orator of any athlete that ever lived because professional athletes are renowned as not very good speakers. And this is Im imperative that managers who manage these athletes have got to say, listen, you've got to learn to speak. You've got to learn to dress well. You've got to learn to shave. You've got to learn to present yourself well because you are dealing with people that I'm asking to endorse you. You don't go against those people, even though you might have something you want to do. You do what those people that are going to give you the money in and sign you up. You see what I'm getting at? But that doesn't happen. But um, 
No, it's fascinating to hear that. I'm very happy to hear that. But try going to a school one day and asking. Gary, I encourage everybody, help Gary get to $100 million. <laughs> Go to GaryPlayer.com, the foundation, the invitation. We appreciate your generosity with your time here on the show. Anytime, Bob. The great Gary Player, Hall of Famer, here on this edition of the Papacast.